0: Ephesians chapter one. Continuing, of course, our study, and you can see we are going through many verses today. We've doubled up from week one to week two, and now we're up to doubling up again this week. Uh, but this was, you know, and there's there is so much in this passage. Uh, I really wanted to set out to get this thought together of these seven verses of the work that we're going to see here of the Son. And the Spirit last week we talked so much of the work of the Father, the plan of the father, the plan for redemption and in that when you have the work of the son and that plan we have the, the Council of the Trinity Father, Son and spirit that made this plan before the foundation of the world the plan for redemption and you have the work of the Father that was putting that that plan forward the work of the Son, which is the execution of that plan, and the work of the Spirit, which is the implementation of that plan. And those are the two things that we're going to focus in on today, the work of the Son and the work of the Holy Spirit. Verse seven, it says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. What a glorious verse in itself, And we could have stopped there and done the entire message, not just today, but next week and the week after on that verse. But we're not doing that. We're going to try to get all of this collective thought together. There's a, there's a theme that we see throughout this section, and I want you to, to keep this thought in mind of God's economy. Ephesians chapter one, and whenever you go, you might think back to Ephesians chapter one, I want you to remember that statement, God's economy. We are talking about a realm and a world, an economy that is beyond our understanding, beyond our economy, but we're given a little glimpse. We're given a little picture into God's ways. We're given a little picture into God's economy. Before this, of course, as we discussed last week, we see this this council of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, meeting before time, outside of time and space. Truly, there was this plan made for redemption, for salvation. And that's the plan that the Father set forth. And now we get today to get into time and space as Jesus came to earth. You see, that's where we start, verse seven, in him. And we've talked about this before, and you will hear it again and again. That is speaking of a fellowship, an intimate fellowship and in relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what in him means. But as we're, if we're talking about fellowship and relationship with Jesus Christ, we're bringing heaven to earth. That's what happened. Jesus came to earth in the form of a human, in the form of a man, and lived a perfect life, and died on the cross, and rose from the dead, and ascended to heaven. That actually happened within our time and space. We have the historical account of it. We got to study through the gospel of John, the words and works of Jesus Christ that actually happened we can get our hands on it. It's a little more tangible. Now for us, we're like, well, I can't get my hands on it, but we have the historical account of it. What we read prior to this is this account that happened before time and space. There is a trust, a belief, a faith in God that he, the Father, Son, and Spirit, made this plan, perfect plan for redemption. But now here, Jesus comes to bring heaven to earth in him, meaning we have the opportunity to have fellowship with him. We have the opportunity to be in relationship with him. As it says, in him, we can rewind to the verse before in verse six, as it speaks of him as the beloved. It is Jesus, Christ himself, we are, ta- we are talking about right here, who came. This is the son's part. This is the, the execution of the plan, And so what do we have in him? It says that we have redemption. Redemption, which, as it also says, begins with the forgiveness of sins, which means that sin is the problem. Sin has brought separation between God and man. But we have been given in him, in this fellowship, in this relationship with Jesus Christ, we have been given redemption. The word redemption means liberation procured by the payment of a ransom. You see, redemption is an economic term. And we're talking all about God's economy. We can rewind to last week in in the beginning of our passage last week in verse 3, that he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places is a term of God's economy. God's economy that is so far outside and beyond our economy. But now we have this word redemption. Redemption is another term of God's economy. It is redemption that we have, the ransom that has been paid. The price has been paid. We have been bought with, what does it say? The blood of Jesus Christ. Now, Maybe you're like, "Hey, I'm a little squeamish. I don't want to talk about blood. I don't like the sound of that." And some people have actually, throughout history, been offended by how gory the gospel is. We think the gospel's gory. Go back to the Old Testament. Go to the look at the blood covenant and in in, read in the Book of Genesis. Read in the Book of Exodus. The blood covenant and the and the sacrifices that would be made that is ugly stuff but we don't like to talk about it we it makes us uncomfortable maybe there are churches that don't talk about the blood of Jesus Christ there's a story of a pastor who was new to a church and it was his first week as the pastor and this couple came up to him and as they came up to him they say hey pastor we just we just want to be sure of something you know the the last pastor talked a lot about the blood of Jesus and and as you are the new pastor we just thought we might mention to you that uh, we would appreciate if you didn't talk too much about the blood of Jesus so it makes us feel uncomfortable we don't like the the gory nature of talking about the blood of jesus and he said to them oh oh i understand and i can assure you that i will not talk too much about the blood of jesus and they were pleased they had this you know look of relief on their face and then he said however let me be clear you cannot talk too much about the blood of jesus And there's a realization that, guys, if we're talking about the gospel, if we're talking about redemption, then you know what? We have to talk about the blood. Remember this, communion is an ordinance of the church. What is communion all about? What is this communion, being an ordinance of the church? It is something that we are to practice regularly. We do this together. As a church, we partake once a month on Sunday mornings. We do this regularly. Maybe we need to do it more often. But it, is, it needs to be a regular practice, and that's why we do it regularly. It is something that we are told to participate in in remembrance of Jesus, Jesus instituted this. He gave the bread, he broke it and said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then after he took the the cup, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, in my blood. He's talking about his body which was broken and his blood that was shed in the new covenant, he made a way for redemption. And he's saying, This is a picture of redemption. My body broken and my blood shed. It is a picture of redemption. And you need to partake in this. And you need to do this in remembrance of me. Make it a regular part of what you do. Don't forget it. Jesus saying that we need to remember him in it is, to me, saying that it's going to be easy to forget. You know, like when my wife says, hey, remember to take out the garbage on your way out the door. Why does she say that? Because I forget. If I don't forget, then she's like, she doesn't have to say anything. She doesn't have to remind me. But we have to be reminded of the blood of Jesus. We have to be reminded to not be caught up in ritual. Of just taking this bread and this cup and we partake and we have a nice day. But understanding that redemption is by his blood. The debt is paid in full. The words that Jesus spoke on the cross, he said, It is finished. Another term of economy, of God's economy to say it is finished, meaning the debt is paid in full. We are not redeemed by good merit. We are not even redeemed by the good merit of Jesus himself, who lived a perfect life. We are redeemed by the blood of Christ, meaning his death was necessary for our redemption, Jesus fulfilling the plan of salvation. It it was established in heaven before the foundation of the world, and it is settled in Christ. Salvation is through Christ. We cannot make ourselves Christians. We would like to. It would be easy, right? What can if I ask you the question, what makes you a Christian? Now some of us might think, well, I go to church most Sundays. Or I go to church every Sunday and Wednesday, and I go to small group meetings or whatever it might be. Or we say something like, Well, I'm trying. Maybe you've heard that before. Maybe you've said that before. Maybe you say, Well, I read my Bible. Maybe you say, I I pray to God. Or I try to be a good person. Or, I try to sin less. Or like my son Caleb said when he was three years old, when I asked him about sin, what does that mean? He says, don't be killing. (laughs) It's good advice from a three-year-old. He's eight now. He has a much better understanding of (laughs) sin and salvation. (laughs) It's a good word, but hey, that doesn't, Save us. It's a good idea. Don't be killing, please. Okay. Let's just set that standard. But you see, that's not what saves us. That doesn't make us a Christian that we might sin less, or we might say, Well, I have not committed murder, right? I, I look at the Ten Commandments. I try to live according to the Ten Commandments. But Jesus, by his blood, brought a new covenant. A new commandment, he said, I give you. That you love one another. The reality is that we are Christians because of the work of Jesus Christ. But that doesn't mean we don't have a responsibility. We need to enter into fellowship with him. To be in Christ is to be in fellowship with Christ a working relationship with him. Not just an acquaintance that we called up on the phone one time and prayed a prayer and said these words and think, we're good. That's not being in Christ. We need that fellowship to walk by faith. If we try to make ourselves a Christian, we lack understanding of salvation. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22 says, And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. And without shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. This is something that was established and practiced throughout the entire Old Testament. There was blood covenant, and then there was, a, there was sacrifice that needed to be made, Blood sacrifice. Blood needed to be poured out for the forgiveness of sin. That was a requirement. But then Jesus came along. Jesus came along to execute the plan for redemption and he shed his blood and he died once for all. And he said, It is finished when he hung on the cross. His blood was the payment. Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, says, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. He paid the ransom. He paid the ransom with his life. And in that, he brought forgiveness of sin, Because sin is the problem. Sin is what separated us from God. But Jesus, he closed the gap. He brought us near. It's It's my watch going off. Get out of here. (laughs) I don't want to hear it. (laughs) She doesn't know anything about it. Jesus brought us near by his blood. According to, as it says here, verse seven, according to the riches of his grace. This is where it gets even better. There's this incredible value on the grace of God. We established that last week in verse six. It talks about the glory of his grace, that his grace is to be put on a pedestal that we are to honor it, to recognize that it's his grace, it's by his grace that we are saved. But now he goes further, and we get to look at his, the riches of his grace. Guys, again, the word, we're talking about riches, what are we talking about? God's economy. God's economy that is the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. God's economy that is grace. And his grace is a complete embarrassment of riches. We could think of the most elite in all the world when it comes to wealth. And we would think of someone like Jeff Bezos, who claims he doesn't have that much money, but he's got plenty of money. He's got more money than he knows what to do with it. And we think, man, there's just an embarrassment of riches. A million dollars to him is like a cup of coffee. He's got so much money, he went to outer space for three whole minutes. <laughs> right? I mean, this is a big deal. And we would look at that and say, that is an embarrassment of riches, isn't it? Because of all the things that, that are just glorious in his life, according to what? Earthly standards. But God's economy is grace, and that is an incredible embarrassment of riches that brings us from death to life, not just a couple minutes in outer space. We have the gift of eternal life according to his riches, according to the riches of his grace. God's economy is grace. And there is no spikes or dips in God's economy. The market is always high. And we should always be buying in. Do you know the riches of his grace? Test yourself. Do you have fellowship? Are you in Christ to have the riches, to experience the riches, to experience the embarrassment of riches. His grace is amazing. We have to remember that. Verse eight, more about his grace. According to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. Now, if, you give, if you, your kids get some birthday money, what's something you might tell them? Don't spend it all in one place, right? That's, a, that's good advice. When it comes to our riches, when it comes to our wealth, however big or little it may be, we think don't spend it all in one place. That's good advice. Jesus spent it all in one place. And it was called all wisdom, And prudence. In all wisdom and prudence, he spent his riches on us. It was people. He spent it all on people. Here's my grace. A never-ending supply. And of that grace, every one of us are equal heirs. Heirs. We are all able to be partakers of that grace. It's not gonna run out. We don't have to to try to level things out with this view of like, well, if we tax a little bit of grace from these people, we can give a little bit of grace to those people. No, it's all from above. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. It's all his grace and it never runs out. Now, of course, as Paul would write to the Romans, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. So it doesn't mean that, that you know, we just have this grace, we do what we want, we get away with it, and we just fall back on the grace of God, and it's our fluffy grace pillow that we could just go on sinning and go on sinning and go on saying it's okay, I have grace, and we fall back and we've got the safety net. That's not being In Christ, because being in Christ and having fellowship with Christ and walking with Christ is going to change us. In Titus, it is written that it's the grace of God that teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts. If we understand the grace of God, then we should be changing. But this grace, he abounds toward us is that he gives it all to us. He spends it all in one place. In God's economy, things are different. It's not foolish for God, but wisdom for God. And it is prudent of him to spend it all in one place according to his perfect plan. He holds nothing back of his riches toward us. Verse 9 And now before I go on to verse nine, let's think about the riches of this world. And there is the the whole idea even of the, the word of faith movement and the word of faith doctrine that tells you you should be healthy and wealthy here on this earth and that you're going to experience blessing here and now. Jesus said in this life you will experience tribulation. I think I'll go with that. But beyond this life, In God's economy, He does not hold back His riches because His riches are grace. Verse 9, having made known to us, and this is what God has done, He has made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Himself. He has made known a mystery to us. We see a mystery and we think of mysteries and we would say something, it's a mystery. And when we say that, we're saying, I don't get it. I can't understand it. Now, about this, about salvation, about the gospel, in our own understanding, in our finite minds, as we so much established last week, we cannot understand. But he has made known to us this mystery, and it's salvation. He's made known to us the mystery of his will, and that his will is his plan that was before the foundation of the world to bring redemption. The gift of salvation. It's not something that we have to figure out. He's made it known to us. The idea of this mystery is not something to be solved because we cannot solve it in our finite minds. But when we see even mysteries throughout the New Testament, there are several places throughout the New New Testament that this terminology is used. It is about God revealing himself. A mystery of the gospel is about God revealing himself. I think of Peter when Jesus said, who do you say that I am? He said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. What was Jesus' response? Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. There's a revelation that took place in that moment. To them, in in that moment, they were trying and working on understanding that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. That's what the ministry of Jesus was about, revealing himself, and revealing and working out this plan for redemption. And he's trying to reveal himself. And nobody's really getting it. He asked, who do men say that I am? They said, well, some say you're a prophet. Okay, well, who do you say? And Peter says this. Jesus knew this is not a revelation that is of yourself. This is not a revelation that is even of man because nobody understands this, but my father has revealed this to you, this great mystery. And now here we see Paul saying something very similar and that we can't wrap our minds around it. But God is continuing to reveal himself and to reveal his plan, his plan for us, his plan for redemption. And he's doing the work. He has made it known. It doesn't have to be a mystery. And it's not a mystery because... We are in Christ. If you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, then it is a mystery. But in fellowship with him, it's made known. And that being made known is a receiving and a walking in that fellowship and and knowing our salvation. We may not be able to figure out the salvation of the entire world, but we know the mystery when it comes to us our salvation, our redemption. He has given us all wisdom and prudence according to his grace, which is his good pleasure. It is revealed in Christ. The mystery is revealed. And the mystery is God's perfect plan for redemption and our place in God's perfect plan. That's personal for us, each one of us individually, in Christ and Christ in us. And it is according to his good pleasure because as Isaiah chapter 53 says, it pleased the Lord to bruise him, a prophecy of the death of Jesus. It pleased the Lord to bruise him, his son. It pleased God to reveal his plan and to work out the plan for redemption. And Jesus, in that, he purposed within himself because being fully God, he could purpose within himself to fulfill and to reveal God's plan for redemption. But we can't. Within ourselves, we can't. But in Christ, we can. He reveals his redemption his plan to us by his grace. Verse 10. After it says, he purposed in himself that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. Now we see again, it says in him. It's all in Christ, and it's repeated time and time again to remind us that this is all about fellowship and relationship with Jesus Christ. And it talks about this this word dispensation, right? And that word meaning it is God's perfect plan for redemption from the beginning for all time, before the foundation of the world as we studied last week. And the plan is to gather and to resolve all things in Christ now we're talking a lot about God's economy this word being a centerpiece as it is transliterated to economy dispensation means economy we are talking about the way that God has built his economy and we have a hard time wrapping our minds around it because we think of economy and we think of how it goes up and it goes down and it goes, there's strength in economy based on so many different things, being world peace, being who the president is or uh, you know, based on so many different foreign policies and so many different manipulations within the market or whatever, right? And, and supply and demand and shipping and trading This is what our economy is based on. But the dispensation, God's economy, is based on God, and that's it. It's based on his grace and his goodness. And it has nothing to do with our understanding. It has nothing to do with our thoughts on economy. And listen, let's be real. We look around, and what makes the world go round? Money, power, sex. This is the stuff that makes the world go round. But God's economy is based on him alone. There's nothing that's gonna change his economy. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. God's economy is perfect. There's no flaw in his plan, and what Paul is basically saying is that God will make it all end up right in the end. Trust him. All things are to be under him, under his authority, and everything is spiritual, and it has spiritual implications. The more you study the Bible, the more you will find that it, it, it contains everything you need. Peter writes and says he has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Not some things, not most things, all things that pertain to life and godliness. We don't have to figure things out outside of our relationship with Jesus Christ. You have problems? Seek him. Trying to figure things out? Seek him. You want answers? Seek him. You you want to know God's plan, his plan is redemption, and his grace is for you. We cannot divide the sacred from the spiritual, or from the secular. Jesus came. That's what we're looking at here in these verses, the work of the Son. Jesus came, and he brought heaven to earth. Heaven and earth are brought together in christ for the glory of god to reveal god's perfect plan for redemption verse 11 in him also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to purpose of him to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will also you guys have heard me say this before but wait there's more the Bible is the best infomercial of all time. There's always more in Christ. And that's the word of being in Christ is there's always more. What does he have for us? Redemption. A promise. He has an inheritance as we see here. He gives grace, He restores, He reconciles by His blood, He reveals the mystery of the gospel, and He's given us an inheritance. Now, looking again at this word, what is inheritance? It's another term of economy. People spend their lives storing up, not to bring it with them, but to pass it on to the next generation, on to their children. And there's that inheritance, and that's worth something in this world, and that makes our little world go round. And we use that to build up our kingdom, but in God's kingdom, it's different. And there's an inheritance from, from above that is in Christ is far better than any inheritance we could receive here on earth. And that might be a blessing to receive an inheritance here on earth. But it's not a spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. It doesn't compare to the grace of God. In him, we have obtained an inheritance in relationship with Jesus in fellowship with him we've we have obtained it it is a gift it's a gift that comes out of the riches of his grace the riches that never run out the riches that nobody needs to argue over we've seen historically people would argue over an inheritance battles happen between family members over an inheritance We don't have to worry about that. We're given inheritance out of the riches of his grace. Jesus says in John 14, my peace I leave with you. That's the inheritance. Paul starts out this greeting of this letter with it to say grace to you and peace. The inheritance that's from above is grace and peace. And so he says then that, We've obtained this inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. There's that word again, predestined. We talked much about it last week. I encourage you if you missed it, go back and listen because we don't have time to get into predestination all over again. But we see three three aspects of God's plan that are added to this idea of predestination. And that is that there's purpose, there was this counsel, and there's the work of Jesus Christ. The purpose, God's plan, redemption. That was the purpose. The counsel of the the Father, Son, and Spirit that worked out redemption according to the perfect will, the perfect plan of God, and then Jesus who came to fulfill the work of redemption. You see, God not only wills, God works, and he works according to his perfect will, according to the council. The, the idea of a council is this deliberate planning and arranging that took place. In verse 12, we continue, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. This is a word specifically to the Jewish believers. We who first Paul writing in that sense, we, Jews, who first believed, who first trusted in Christ, should be to the praise of his glory. And then the next section, it addresses also the Gentiles. He says, You also. And then that section addressing the Gentiles says the same to the praise of his glory reminding us that even as we started out this whole section of scripture last week in verse three, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we are reminding ourselves again to the praise of his glory and to the praise of his glory, whether Jew or Gentile, it is to the praise of his glory. We are redeemed to glorify God. Our redemption is to bring glory back to him. Coming together in Christ, Jew and Gentile, for the common purpose of the glorification of Jesus Christ. Verse 13. Now we get into the work of the Holy Spirit. It says, in him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So in him, in Christ, in fellowship, in relationship with Christ and Christ in you, you also trusted after you heard the word of truth. This tells us of man's responsibility. After you heard the word of truth, you trusted. Coming into that great relationship and fellowship with Jesus Christ requires a response. After you heard the word of truth, you trusted. God's sovereignty with man's responsibility. As we've studied throughout these two weeks here, Yes, we are chosen, and we trusted, and believed. And then we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. I've said it throughout the last two weeks here. We are saved. The salvation is of God. We are saved by God through the Son, kept by the Holy Spirit. And what does that mean? Do we get into this topic now of once saved, always saved? If we are saved, then are we sealed and we're kept by the Holy Spirit and we can never ever leave, get, you know, like a picture of a pickle jar that's sealed up and all the pickles are inside. And we can't get out. Be in Christ. If you are in Christ, and that being in Christ is a fellowship, and a walk with Christ, then yes, you are kept. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit. And you're sealed after you believe, not before. That's the order of events that Paul lays out for us. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. The work of the Holy Spirit is to keep us and that doesn't mean that once we just pray a prayer, we're sealed. It's good. Close the book. Everything's okay. We could do what we want. And get away with it. And that's the problem with the idea that people would think. Once saved, always saved. Because they'll just pray a prayer and think that's salvation. Think that that is, I'm in Christ now. Being in Christ is the fellowship. It's a relationship that you are invested in that you are working in, that you are walking according to the Holy Spirit, walking under the influence of the Holy Spirit. To walk is a steady process of moving forward. That's the definition of the word walk. Steady process of moving forward. That means we can't move backward. We can't do what we want and call it walking. But to walk with him, is to be in Christ, to have fellowship with him. That we are saved by the Father through the Son, kept by the Holy Spirit. An essential part of the perfect plan for redemption is the sealing work of the Holy Spirit. And it's his presence in our lives that acts as the seal. It's our fellowship with him. It is the walking with the Holy Spirit that acts as the seal. Now, the word seal indicates ownership, which is another economic term as we're talking about God's economy. And further, verse 14, we go further into an economic statement. This is talking about the Holy Spirit of promise who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. We're talking all about economy here. There's a lot of financial terms that are used throughout this passage. And then remember, Ephesus was this place of trade. This was a middle ground between East, the eastern world and the western world. This is a, is a trade port here. A lot of things passing through, connecting the world through economy. So Paul's speaking on terms of economy. And he's letting them underst- bringing them to an understanding that on your terms of economy, you don't even get God's economy is so far beyond our economy. But we have the Holy Spirit, who is a guarantee, and the word guarantee means down payment. We're talking more about economy, the down payment that would hold, that would keep, that would seal a commitment. of a a agreed upon price, a down payment. Only the Holy Spirit is spoken of as a guarantee in this way in the New Testament because nothing else is needed. Jesus paid the price. The Holy Spirit is the down payment to keep us until the possession, as it says, The the redemption of the purchased possession until the end. Until we see Jesus face to face. Redemption meaning the completely purchased possession. We have the Holy Spirit as the down payment until our redemption is complete, which is when we see Jesus face to face. not that we have already attained, but we press on, as Paul says. It's until we see him, it's until our resurrection with him in eternity, and it's to the praise of his glory. That's what it's all about, the glorification of Jesus Christ. That's what we need to be all about because of redemption and because of grace is that we would glorify him. So we have these terms of economy that help us understand maybe just a little bit. Redemption, riches, dispensation, which it it is economy, obtaining an inheritance, a guarantee, and we are sealed all of these are economic terms and God's economy is grace. Remember that. It never runs dry. We sang that song today of his grace and the plans he has for me don't finish at my grave. His plans are better than we can imagine. Because there is spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Because his economy is beyond our thoughts. His ways are beyond our ways. His thoughts are beyond our thoughts. And his economy is grace. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that we can have such trust in you and you never fail. And Lord, right now I pray for anybody here who does not have a relationship with you. Anybody who might be joining us online, I pray, God, that you would speak to, minister right now to those who maybe are not in Christ. And maybe you've heard me say that today several times over of being in Christ and what it means to be in Christ and that this is not a religious experience. It's not about a word that we would say and and a prayer that we would pray. And it's not even about the things that we would do other than entering in to relationship and fellowship with Jesus and staying in relationship and fellowship with Jesus. Just walk with him. If you've never entered into that relationship, I invite you today. Would you make a commitment to him? Would you invite him into your life? As it's it's that we are in Christ, but it is Christ in us that changes us. We have to allow him in. We have to invite him in. That's man's responsibility. Jesus paid the price. He died on the cross for our sins. He poured out his blood for our sins. And he rose from the dead. Our responsibility is to invite him to be our Lord. To invite him into our lives.